0: Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice.
1: welcome to the australian chiropractors association podcast i'm your podcast host anthony Coxon. as chiropractors we are blessed with with gifts through our education training and experience that day in day out are greatly valued by people all over the world whether it's through the power of the adjustment or other manual therapies the hands-on chiropractic approach can do wonderful things to reduce pain and improve health and well-being Of course, chiropractic is a profession and not just a technique, and there are many things that encompass a professional health encounter. And it's the whole of the experience that ultimately matters for the patient. As important as an adjustment might be, it's possible that what we say, encourage or inspire that may have more profound impact on our patient's long-term health than anything else. How we influence health behaviours with our patients is critical, and of course, one of the most well recognized health behaviors is physical activity. Despite the fear the, the clear way to research supporting movement, exercise and uh, and exercise, physical inactivity is still a global health pandemic. As chiropractors, we are typically very comfortable with in the exercise world, but could we do better? Well, to understand physical exercise guidelines and how well we impart this information to our patients is going to be critical. And to discuss this topic, I'm joined on the ACA podcast by chiropractor and researcher Dr. Matt Fernandez. Now, just a quick uh, brief introduction to Matt. He's a registered chiropractor and is currently senior lecturer at Central Queensland University, where he teaches and supervises the students in the Masters of Chiropractic Programme. Prior to his CQU appointment, he was lecturer at the Department of Chiropractic at Macquarie University. Matt is very passionate about research and following the completion of his PhD at the University of Sydney, he now leads various research projects and supervises research students. He also regularly presents his research at conferences in targeted areas that advance the knowledge and understanding of chiropractic through physical activity, exercise and patient education interventions And for those of you who were at the uh, ACA conference last year, you might also know that he is joint winner of the research prize. Hi Matt, welcome to the ACA podcast.
0: Hi Anthony, Uh, thanks very much for uh, having me uh, on your show today.
1: So not all exercise is good exercise, but you'd be hard pressed to find anyone willing to argue against the positive uh, health benefits that exercise can bring. Just, not that we need any further convincing, but from an evidence perspective, why should we be encouraging our patients to exercise?
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a very good point. And I think if we just look at the data or look at the evidence, um, we should be exercising because of the various benefits that it gives us. And uh, some of them are really obvious, but what we need to know first is that physical activity is a modifiable risk factor for numerous chronic diseases. Uh, these can include uh, cardiovascular disease, Uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, certain cancers. It helps with all-cause mortality. And more closely to home, I think it can help with many musculoskeletal complaints that we see day-to-day. But if we look at physical activity as it helps us more on a day-to-day fashion, we can see improvements, for example, in our mood. We have better mood or better mental health. Uh, We can sleep better. Uh, There's less stress associated with uh, being active. We can certainly get stronger. And we can help manage our weight. So, these are the sort of things that we might see in the more immediate term. And if we're consistent with it, I think that uh, it can help with those longer term chronic diseases, as we mentioned above. So, I think in you know, all, there's probably many reasons why we should be encouraging uh, exercise or to be physically active.
1: And I guess it's not the problem with is exercise good for you, but why is it that more people aren't doing it? what's what's the answer to that question, Matt?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I would say great question, but a super loaded question too. but you know we'll try and break it down a little bit because I think there's lots of layers to it. And I think we've really got to think of our patients and really understand them because there's lots of reasons. For one or a handful of reasons, I think there may be fear associated that, people engaging in exercise could actually hurt them. Or people that have come to see you for musculoskeletal complaints, there's a possibility that these complaints may be made worse if we encourage physical activity or exercise. More deeply, I think we need to explore patients with respect to where they are on that behavioural change scale. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that for some people, exercise is not even on the radar. It just does not Mm. exist. So for that patient, if you prescribe exercise, it's it's just not going to happen. It's probably a waste of time. Then there's other people along that behavioral uh, change spectrum, if you like, that are thinking about it but haven't started. There are those who are preparing for it but haven't started. They might have gone to the shops and bought a parachute runners, for instance. And then on the other side, you've got people who are already exercising really well. They're in a routine, and anything you prescribe is going to be absorbed really well and positively. So there's some of the reasons, but I think more broadly, to exercise and why people don't do it. Again, people may simply be just too tired. Uh, They don't have the time. They don't have the knowledge either, Mm -hmm. let alone any physical activity knowledge. And an important one from a systems perspective, I think, is the lack of facilities or the lack of space. So we might have people that are in an environment that's not conducive to exercise. So, for example, they may live too far away from parks. They may not have any accessible bike lanes. There's no outdoor gyms. They might be in an area where there's lots of traffic and potentially they're in a neighborhood that's not safe, right? So another couple of reasons is a a big one such as no social support. So, for instance, there's no one to exercise with, no accountability. Hmm. Or another common reason is that you might not have people to mind your kids while there's the only time that you can exercise. So, uh, we really are skimming the surface, but I think we've given a number of reasons as to why people just can't exercise.
1: Yeah, and I I guess that's something as a a professional we have to consider and have those discussions about those clear and obvious barriers. But when we're talking about... uh, Exercise. We're not just really talking about structured exercise, going to the gym, playing a specific sport, but but physical activity in general, which I guess would include incidental exercise.
0: Yeah, and and look, I'm glad you've you've sort of raised the point of incidental exercise because I think it's really interesting. And and for those who aren't aware of it, uh, by definition, it's it's probably something that's part of your day-to-day living, uh, an exercise that's not planned and and doesn't require commitment. So it's actually happening, as as we know. So examples of that might just be from you walking from A to B, uh, maybe running quickly to catch a bus or a train, uh, climbing stairs, picking up and carrying groceries or shopping bags. House cleaning and with children just playing with sports and maybe just jumping in a trampoline and, and going up and down for, you know, 30, 40 seconds can certainly get the heart rate up. But I think important with incidental uh, physical activity is that research is now showing that it's actually associated with brief bouts of quite vigorous intensity physical activity. So this is an emerging research from device-based measures, so things like accelerometry, uh, pedometers to, to measure our steps, uh, smartphones, garments, etc. And some recent work has shown that if you engage in maybe three to five bouts of uh, one to two-minute vigorous activities or activity that gets the heart rate going, the research tells us that potentially this is quite comparable to the traditional 150 to 300 minute uh, physical activity recommendations which is which is quite exciting but also critical because particularly people that we see there's no way that they're going to meet those recommendations of, you know, 30 to 60 minutes of daily exercise. Yeah. And uh, I think we've alluded to some of those reasons. So I think there's an important component that we're going to see more emergence in terms of research of these device-based measures. Um, and they're going to uh, trickle their way into the new guidelines when we see them towards, you know, 20, 29, 2030, 20, Because people might not be aware that our current guidelines, most of it has been derived from self-reported measures and this incidental activity has not been able to be measured through these self-reported measures. So I think the take-home here is that incidental activity happens. It's feasible. It's efficient. We don't have to plan it, and I think we we need to promote it more.
1: Mm. You mentioned about the guidelines. So this is the the World
0: Health Organisation guidelines you're
1: talking about, and maybe can you go over again what the current guidelines are?
0: Sure. So I think guidelines in general, Uh, For adults, at least 150 minutes to 300 minutes of moderate uh, exercise intensity. So that might just be simply walking or, or, you know, a comfortable cycle or more vigorously, 75 to 150 minutes of physical activity. So more of a jog or a run, uh, maybe just at that pace where you can't really have a conversation. And importantly, it's the inclusion of resistance training, maybe two or three times a week. And um, for children, at least. Uh, you should be looking at 60 minutes of physical activity um, per day at least
1: right and so those numbers that you said uh, for the adults just before that uh, I think 300 minutes was the uh, moderate level was that's over a week I'm assuming
0: yes that's correct so yeah. each of those are a week so you're looking at around 30 to 60 minutes daily
1: yes yeah, yeah. but but as you mentioned that the the opportunity for something that's far more vigorous, to have that in short spurts is potentially as helpful or possibly even more so than the, than the longer, more mild to moderate activity.
0: Yeah, and I think, as I said, uh, this is a great opportunity to really promote that. And and, and I think that, um, as I said, that when the guidelines are, are revamped in the number of years' time, I think the device-based measures are really going to make a strong contribution. And, look, the last guidelines were actually released in late uh, 2020, And obviously, the guidelines that I mentioned to you there for adults and children, the World Health Organization also actually made a couple of extra recommendations. And these uh, are important for for us as chiropractors because they've really had a strong focus towards mental health. So those with depression, anxiety, Mm. and also the positive benefits of physical activity with cognitive function. Importantly to these guidelines, there's a strong component or the emergence of uh, newly crafted uh, recommendations for sedentary behavior so that's the other side of the coin of physical activity and it's a uh, probably a field in itself and with sedentary behavior there's good and not so good so the good one is is the ones where we're reading writing uh, at school for instance and the not so good ones is the excess screen time or you know yeah. video game engagement so that's that's the one that's uh, problematic particularly in our adolescence There's also really strong recommendations now to subgroup populations like pregnancy and postpartum women, people with disabilities and also chronic disease populations, as well as our older populations, particularly when it comes to fall prevention. And um, and again, just wrapping up, it's it's exactly what you asked, you know, every movement counts. So if you're just doing a little bit incidentally uh, through our device-based measures, um, I think we can do really well here. So
1: what your paper, uh, Physical Activity Promotion in Chiropractic, from last year that was published in um, Chiropractic and Manual Therapies, obviously looked deeply into how chiropractors were doing in promoting and understanding uh, physical activity for their patients. Uh, How did we fare?
0: Yeah, look, um, pretty good pretty good. I mean, they were, it was a systematic review of surveys. Um, so we we didn't do the the scoping review of everything. But um, part of the reason for that was because there was very little available. So we, if we dug deeply into the surveys, we found lots of surveys uh, that, uh, you know, contributes. But readily, if we combine everything together, we were very well ready to advise counsel, and promote physical activity. And, um, it really set the foundation for other work that we've done. So what I've noticed in in the literature is that other healthcare providers have surveyed their clinicians, at least in Australia, about their uh, confidence and knowledge with respect to physical activity. And we recently completed uh, the analysis and are now writing up our cross-sectional study of our chiropractors and and looking at what they're doing and not doing in this physical activity space. And um, the results are are very interesting. Uh, Some of them I can reveal is that you know, we, we do really well when it comes to, um, promoting physical activity and in particular resistance-based training, we're really big on that more so than aerobic training, which is, uh, I guess in contrast, to some other healthcare providers that obviously find a weakness in resistance training and strength training promotion. Yeah. But also we, we, we do have some weaknesses in, in the subpopulations that I mentioned before, where we're not likely to, uh, promote physical activity to, uh, pregnant women and postpartum women. And also there's a there's a weakness in our uh, kids' promotion of physical activity. So, you know, that that's, you know, we're doing pretty well, but I think obviously like other healthcare providers, there's, there's room to improve. And to be honest, I think we're all on that level playing field. If if we do mm. a little bit more, we could potentially rise and be the leaders in this field.
1: And I guess that's those results aren't entirely uh, unexpected. The resistance training you think would be good because so much of the exercises we're recommending will be of a, a, a rehabilitation type you know recovering from a particular injury or a, 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 a anomaly that's uh, that's found with a physical structure but i guess just getting down to the very basics and encouraging people to move their body more as simple and dumbed down as that seems is, is so absolutely essential
0: yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And it's just most feasible to do that. The equipment is minimal to none. And um, it's it's just they don't have to think about it so much. And, you know, it's easy to do. So, no, I totally agree. And and more importantly, it's, it's logical, isn't it?
1: In day-to-day practice, how uh, would you um, encourage chiropractors to engage with their patients on this level? Is it worth sort of um, here are the physical activity guidelines, get to it, um or maybe doing surveys or, or are they or there uh, are there questionnaire instruments that have been validated that go into these sorts of uh topics
0: yeah i mean to to look at ways at which we can assess and, and encourage more physical activity um you know obviously we, we can do more i think at a very basic stage, you know, informally, we can just ask it at each consultation, and uh, you can back that up by handing a, a you know specific brochure or infographic or something like that, just just to give people uh, basic information. More formally, you mentioned uh, questionnaires, and certainly there are questionnaires. I think a, a really uh, feasible one to use or implement is the validated uh, general uh, practice physical activity questionnaire. So this one actually takes less than a minute to, to complete. And um, you group your patients from very inactive to, to quite active. And I think the the is not the important aspect. I think the important aspect here of this questionnaire is it opens the door to have the conversation. So depending yeah. on the answer, you can actually start to elaborate on it and, uh, you know, talk about, you know, have that conversation. And I think. Again, if we try to encourage people, we, we, we probably need to dive deeper and uh, explore that behaviour change. And uh, there are many models to behaviour change. And um, one that's, that's commonly known to researchers is that is that COM-B framework, if you like. So that's all about the the capabilities, the opportunity, the motivation, which mesh together gives us the answer in terms of their behaviour uh, or their likelihood to do or not do things. So, you know, when it comes to capability, it's really just their their physical and psychological ability. When it comes to opportunity, it's more about the external factors that present themselves to allow you to exercise, and then the probably the most important one is is your own motivation. You know what what is the level of inspiration that's within that mm. allows you to to get up and do those things. And if you like I said, if you mesh those all together, then you've got an idea of where they are along that behavioural change continuum. Um, so. Yeah, and I guess it's a timely reminder that when we're prescribing exercise, we've got to know that some people, it's just not going to enter the mindset. It's just not there.
1: What did you say the name of that questionnaire was called?
0: That questionnaire is the General Practice Physical Activity Questionnaire.
1: Fantastic. What we'll do is we'll make that link available so that um, listeners can have a a check that out. I'm just already thinking what what a great... uh, email to, to patients, you know, fit, uh, fill out this form to see where your uh, activity levels are. And if, you, if you're if below that, you know, um, Absolutely. start to work on it. And as you said, you can email that to individual patients uh, as well. Uh, I think people like, and this is with the whole thing with technology and with, uh, you know, the smartwatches and the heart rate monitors and everything else that we've got that uh, measures all these things. I think people, especially who are into technology, love that kind of stuff, and if there's some kind of measure of where they're at and where perhaps they should be, that often is a, is a really good motivation uh, and may potentially improve compliance with, uh, with exercise. Definitely. Definitely. So... Speaking of that, um, just with with other, I mean, we've got, I know in my practice, I use um, PhysiApp as as the main exercise tool. And again, that's mostly resistance type exercise that that I'm doing there. But there are other things like the ACA's uh, Straighten Up uh, app or also the ACA's Just Start Walking app, which I think are are really great tools. Um, Is there other bits of technology or... Other things that you do with patients or encourage chiropractors to do to to get people more engaged with exercise?
0: I think from these app um, the presentations and, and usage. Um, I can speak from a, a patient perspective. Certainly, when you know I need to, to visit a healthcare provider, be it you know Cairo, physio, etc., and it's you know musculoskeletal complaints. These uh, these are apps that are really readily available. And um, I, I do note that clinicians do take really good care and time to make sure it's uh, individually prescribed. And uh, obviously, the exercises that are demonstrated, and then you go through the videos. And obviously, there's great animations, engaging uh, comments and uh, the explanations are obviously you know great to understand and I think to be honest uh you know irrespective of what tool I think they've all got uh, their, their pluses um, I, I I fail to see uh, the minuses I think the minuses really come back to the fact of you know whether the patient's ready to to turn that video on you know yeah. it's very easy to have it on your phone or you know uh, on on your laptop but uh, if you're not you're not motivated um, your environment's not conducive to it. Um, you're too busy, or you're not. You know, you don't have the time. Uh, it's not going to be utilized. So I think uh, these tools are fantastic when the person's ready to, to use them. And and again, just where are they on that behavior change scale? So I think these tools are, are wonderful when the person's ready to engage with them.
1: I think I've also found that uh, knowing in your community the the various um, exercise options for people, whether it be sort of a um, you know, a reformer Pilates, a Kisa, the the, the local personal training gym, uh, or, or you know, larger uh, gym, um, and also uh, particularly we sort of sort of talked about before the financial barriers for some some of the community based and council based um, uh, activities that you know we might look at and think, oh, look, they're not ideal, but but it, it's it's very low cost. Uh, often it's uh, a good social environment, and, and it meets some of those other. Important aspects when it comes to exercise, because bottom line, and getting back to a compliance thing, you know, people might be motivated initially to improve their well-being, but they really have to enjoy the process. I think if it's something that they're going to continue,
0: no, I, I think definitely, I, I I couldn't agree more. And and you mentioned the uh the outdoor gyms and and these sort of freely available tools, and and um you know, being on the Sunshine Coast uh, along the beaches, there, you can't help to notice some of the. Um, the the setups that they have and and some of them are, are pretty old and weathered and and probably not conducive. But then you do come across a couple of good ones that just have a bit of a F45 and a CrossFit feel, and you think, gee, that's that's pretty modern. This one you can tell this one's only a year or two old. Yeah. And I think the key thing here is is what you mentioned before that community aspect. I, I think that's where you know uh, the the systems based approach where you've got to look at your uh, your local representatives in, in your cities or in your, in your towns, your, your council reps and and getting, engaging these sort of people on board as well as uh, academic institutions and obviously, uh, you know, famous people or influential people and uh, making it uh, inclusive for everyone, you know. And so I think the guidelines do that to start with. So people with chronic disease and if we look at our chronic disease data, one in two Australians have at least one chronic disease. We mm. look at the levels of disability. That's important our vulnerable groups being uh, postpartum women or pregnant women where you know when when these uh, wonderful events happen they're at high risk of not going back to exercise at all yeah and so the health uh, uh, decline can be considerable at that, that transitional phase. So we probably need to do more, um, you know, individually we can in our clinics, but, you know, if we engage the appropriate people um, who, you know, sit higher up in the chain and have influence, then, you know, you could start, um, you know, some sort of community work. And I think a really good example of that is the uh, the 5K run, the, the park run that we see. Uh, there's one locally down the road here, and it's just amazing how many people rock up for a 5K run, um, Every Saturday morning. And if you're new, they introduce you and you get a round of applause. So, you know, it's that sort of thing that's just, you know, and no one's there coaching you and, and, you know, you don't have to sprint and take off. You can walk it, run it, have a jog, um, have a rest, have a stretch. And it's just, you know, being immersed in that community. And and then there's an element of accountability with that too. So yeah, totally agree with what you're saying there.
1: And I think not only does this have tremendous benefit for the patients, but if uh, a chiropractor is getting out there and meeting these people who are involved in these groups, it also has a pretty positive benefit on your practice because uh, chances are when they do have problems, which most of them will at some stage, um, you know they might be thinking of you to, uh, to, to help them. Um, Matt, if we were going to uh, wrap it up and, and just think about what are the key take-home messages that you want um, the ACA listeners to be thinking about when it comes to physical activity?
0: Yeah, sure. I think I think there's probably a couple. I think firstly, we need to acknowledge from the limited research that we have that you know, Cairo seems to be doing a pretty good job at promoting physical activity, just like other healthcare providers. But um, as I alluded to before, we can certainly do better, and if we do better, we can emerge as a leader in this space. So you know, we we all have barriers that we face, um, but it's no different to any other healthcare provider and the patients they see. So you know, we we still have room to improve. The second one is that, uh, you know, given all the health benefits that we described about physical activity, both in the long term and in the intermediate term, I think it's just worth talking about it at each consultation. So I think mm-hmm. as Kairos, we should consider it as a vital sign. We need to assess it, and we've got the questionnaire now, or just simply informally ask about it, talk about it, promote it, and uh, prescribe it. I think we just, we just need to do it full stop. The third one is, and probably amongst the more important is is be familiar with those guidelines, not just the adult-based guidelines, but also all ages. Now, the World Health Organization and also Australia have subpopulations. So we we talk about activity for kids, uh, children, adolescents, older adults. We've now got uh, disability and chronic uh, diseased uh, patients as well. And, you know, this is obviously really important. And, and I alluded to you before that, you know, for chiropractors, even the ones from our research that definitely promoted uh, are less likely to do it for our postpartum women and our children and adolescents and and this is this was striking to 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 me to, to see this result and um you know we can certainly speculate why we 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 saw these results but importantly they're vulnerable groups we, we know that if you're not active as a kid and as an adolescent it's definitely going to trickle into adulthood because those foundations have now been set so mm. it's really hard to to break that it's possible but it, but it's hard compared to those who have just been used to being active and engaged in sports and, and activity so that that's probably the important one that the fourth one is also for our own chiropractic profession to to support research in this field too as well i think that I can't speak for other universities, but I know at CQU, we're, we're really focusing in in these areas, uh, be it the physical activity and mental health. Uh, for instance, we're, we're starting to dive into this literature. We're finding the gaps. And, you know, we, we want to know what chiropractors do in this space. We want to be able to interview them. So, so hopeful that, you know, when we put a call out through ACA, uh, through social media, that our, our clinicians will engage and be happy to talk about their experiences, because that's how we build our evidence base. And that's how ultimately we'll help build our credibility as well. Um, and I guess the last one is just the, the message that we spoke about at the start, and that is that every movement counts. Um, so this is that message we need to give people, and we can sort of fall away potentially from that you know, hardcore 300 minute a week recommendations and just tell people, Hey, anything that you do is actually working for you. And uh, our research shows that chiropractors actually agree with this anyway, which was really uh, enlightening. And, 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 and I'm happy to see that. And another message we should give people is that those who are totally inactive and then start a little bit, they're the ones that are going to gain the most. So some exercise is good, but a little bit more is better. So Mm. yeah, look, that'd be my take home messages.
1: Fantastic. Uh, that's a great way to wrap it up, Matt. Look, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate all the work you uh, do in this area. As you've said, it's really of um, vital importance to to the profession and to our patients. So uh, thank you and, and thank you for your time today.
0: Thanks, Anthony. No worries.
1: Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.